Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Fantastic. Well, you can take your seats. First of all, thanks for being here on a, a beautiful, maybe too warm Sunday morning. Maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you'll disagree with me. I think I like it a little more mild, but I also will not complain. Maybe I just did complain, but that's up to your discretion. But really excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, welcome to City Collective. My name is Jason. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here of this new church community. I guess we're not that new anymore. We're just crossing the 10-month mark. This was, this was exactly 10 months since we got started here in Langley, and we're really excited that this is our home, and this is where we get to be through the summer and all. Yeah, I think that's worth a clap. That's worth a clap. Uh, we are going through a series right now, walking through the life of Jacob in the Old Testament called The Throwdown in Torah. And it's been a fun journey through the past seven weeks. And we are finally on that final Sunday, this final story to wrap up our series with Jacob. And I'm really excited about it. Uh, yesterday, I had the opportunity to go and watch some fireworks. And the, the motherland, India, was representing very, very well in the fireworks category. Yeah, I, someone just yelled for India. That's okay. That's probably a blessing. Um, <laughs> We're really excited about that, I guess. But so many good things going on in our city, in our community. Mark mentioned that we were able to serve on Wednesday, and that was really wonderful. And then to gather here on a Sunday morning and to dive into who God is and who we are to Him is one of the most incredible privileges that we get to do. And so uh, we've been walking through this journey of Jacob. We started off with a conversation about him even in the womb that he was this wrestler, he was this heel grabber, he was having this, this persona from the very beginning and then he is born and he builds a relationship with his brother but it's a contentious one and he ends up stealing the birthright and the blessing of, of his brother and he goes on the run and, and then he experiences the stairway to heaven moment with God and continues on his journey and ends up uh, falling in love really dramatically. You're going to have to read the story for himself but there's weeping and there's crying out to God uh, really suddenly, the first time he met her, it was like the ultimate pickup line for him to get Rachel. Um, but he has this moment with her, and then he labors for seven years and is deceived, and he labors for seven years more, and he, he ends up getting the woman that he so desired, and he has, has children, and then he goes through this moment where he finally comes to this place where he knows that Esau, his brother who he deceived 20 years prior, he knows that Esau is coming to him. And, and he, he starts to prepare himself. And before Esau actually arrives, he has this moment with, with a man he soon discovers to be to God. And, and he wrestles with him. And that's what we were talking about last week. Wrestling with God. Are we, are we allowed to wrestle with God? What does wrestling with God mean? And what does it actually invite us into? So if you're wondering about all those things, you can catch up. We have everything on the podcast. But this, this Sunday, we're continuing with the story. Jacob has just wrestled with God. And we're now into Genesis 33. So you can follow along. Big screen in the sky. And we're starting in verse 1. And it says this. It says, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau 
coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he himself went on ahead, and he bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. I want you to capture the gravity of this moment. This is, this is a man that has been on, on a journey that we've been on with him. That he, he has deceived and he has lied and he has stolen from, from his brother. And the last experience that he's had with his brother, the last thing that he remembers, is his brother crying out saying, I am going to kill him. And then 20 years has gone by and Jacob has held this great weight upon him in the midst of his journey. And now he finds himself finally face to face with his brother. And that's going to be the title of our sermon this morning. And suddenly everything that he has gone through culminates in this moment. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you that in your story that you present in the life of Jacob, that you invite us to discover something about ourselves. How we can be Jacob sometimes. How we can struggle and we can wrestle and we can be uncertain and we can have all these mistakes in our lives. But thank you that the invitation you give to us is to not just discover Jacob but to discover you. I pray that that is our journey this morning. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in just the way that we need to be led by love. Thank you for all that you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so we, we see the story of Jacob. And, and if we're taking it kind of honestly as well, he's, the last thing he's heard from Jacob is, I'm going to kill you. And so approaching him, you can imagine, what does he have in his heart? Probably a little bit of fear. And, and if we're being honest, probably a lot of fear. And the idea of fear is, is fascinating because I think fear can compel us to do things that we don't originally plan to do or intend. Uh, it, can, it can lead us to go in a different direction or to act a certain way. And fear can be a weird thing in our lives. It can be a normal thing in our lives. It can be a surprising thing. And fear has a lot of different categories that it falls into. There's a lot of weird fears in the world. So what are you afraid of? What, and, and maybe that sounds like a deep, resonating question, but I'm actually kind of wondering, what's your weird fears? What, what are the things that kind of capture you in an odd way? There's some pretty incredible phobias out there. Um, there's Dora-phobia, and maybe you're thinking that's, you're afraid of Dora the Explorer. No, it's not. It's the fear of fur or skins of animals. There's chronophobia, which is the fear of time. There's epistemophobia, which is the fear of knowledge. That's a fascinating one to me. Um, there's hodophobia. If you're a uh, Game of Thrones fan, it's not because you're afraid of doors. It's the fear of road travel, funny enough. And then uh, there's the one that I probably resonate with the most, and it's a phytophobia, which is the fear of snakes. Now, I don't actually think that I have a true phobia when it comes to this, but I think I have a very valid reasoning as to why snakes are something that we as humans are okay to be afraid of. So, uh, in the Bible, at the very beginning, who's the snake? The devil. Easy. That's the connection right there, right? So we can make that straight assumption that snakes are the bad guys in the world. We don't like snakes, and they don't like us. If there was a snake in the room right now, I would probably ask one of the white people in the room to go pick it up and, and take it out of the room. Because, so, uh, I think grade two, I had 
there was an assembly that happened. They brought in one of those animal trainers. They were bringing in all these cutesy little animals, and everyone's enjoying them, and they're, they're lizards, and I can handle a lizard or two, and then there's like these furry animals, and you can handle those. Just don't bring a raccoon in. Trash pandas are dangerous. Don't, don't test them. And then they finally have the one guy come out, and he's got this giant yellow, 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 yellow <laughs> python around his neck, like extended down his arm, big smile on his face, and he's like, hey kids, if you want to come pet the snake, you can come and do that right now. And like I said, all the white kids went up front, all the brown kids left out the back door. <laughs> Nobody wants to touch the snake in that moment. And, and you know, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I'm right, when it comes to snakes, uh, let's, let's look at this really practi practically, the fear of the snake in that moment led me in a direction that I was not originally intending. And this might, not, might seem like a slightly silly example, but that's just kind of how fear works. Fear often compel us, compels us to go in directions that we don't originally intend or plan. And when we have a fear-based thinking, and when we have a fear-based foundation, our decisions are often not our own. Our decisions are made for us by the fears that we are actually carrying. And so our common responses in, in moments of, of hurt and in moments of mistakes and in moments of conflict is we experience those, those moments and we have the fear of what does this actually mean. I think regardless of who you are, I think we're all afraid of going face to face with the mistakes of our past or the hurt that we have caused. I think we all carry that fear within us to some degree. And so our response in moments of hurt, our, our response in moments of conflict, our response in the moments of our mistakes is often what? It's often avoidance. We, we want to move in the opposite direction. I don't want to touch that snake, so I'm going to leave out the back door. I don't want to deal with my past or my mistakes or my hurt face to face, so I'm going to avoid it and pretend it didn't even happen. It's running, and it's simply continuing on with your life. And if fear is our foundation, then avoidance is always going to be our response. And after two months of our time and 20 years of Jacob's life, we finally find ourselves at the long-awaited showdown where Jacob has been running because of the fear in his heart for so long, and now he has to go face-to-face -face with his past. So Genesis 33, it, it paints the picture of what happens with him and his family, and then he goes and he bows seven times before Esau. And, and this is a significant moment just for the simple fact that maybe for one of the first times in his life, Jacob has chosen to put himself in the line of fire, chosen to put himself in front of those that he cared about, that he's actually made the decision that I might have to actually pay the piper in this situation. I'm going to have to actually deal with this head-on. But I love the fact that Jacob has to deal with this head-on, but he does this and he makes, makes this decision immediately after he wrestles with God. 
Because this is what happens when we get to know God. This is what happens when we meet God. The miraculous takes place, and we no longer act from a place of fear, but from a place of confidence. Because sometimes God takes on the persona of the thing we fear so that we know that when we come into contact with our fear in that moment and he meets us in it, that we just know that he is with us. And maybe it doesn't fix it perfectly in that moment. Maybe you don't have your phobia overturned completely, but just the assurance of knowing that God is with you shifts your foundation from fear to faith. And suddenly Jacob had a new foundation. He wasn't operating from a place of fear, but he had faith that I might have to deal with the consequences, but I've wrestled with God. I've seen his face. I know that he loves me, and I know his grace is for me, so I can actually go and face it head on. And I love this man who was afraid to face his brother, that he meets God face to face and then he gets up and he walks directly towards his brother. Because following Jesus often means that he is going to walk you right into the middle of what you have been avoiding all along. Following Jesus often means that he's going to walk you right into the middle of what you have been avoiding. Because it may be that there are things somewhere in your life that you need to get up and walk toward. And and it may be that you need to know that God is with you when you do. So let's continue reading into verse 4. And so I'm going to read a a chunk of scripture right here and then we'll continue. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and he embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. Lots of weeping with these brothers. Then Esau looked up and he saw the woman and the children and he said, who are these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down and next Leah and her children came about and last of all came Joseph and Rachel and they too bowed down. And Esau asked, what's the meaning of all those flocks and herds I met? Jacob had sent gifts out in front of him to hopefully placate the anger of Esau that he was expecting. And Jacob says, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you for God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way, and I'll accompany you. Now, now after everything that we've read and we've experienced in our journey with Jacob, the, the contentious nature of their relationship, the, the heartache that was caused, the, the vitriol that was yelled out as Jacob was fleeing away from Esau, this is a very unexpected response from Esau. The earlier version of Esau, Esau does not seem to respond in such a way to run to him, to hug him, to kiss him, and and, and to weep about the fact that he's just with his brother. 20 years has changed Jacob, but 20 years has also changed Esau. That earlier version of Jacob is described by scholars as an example of bestial veracity, of of a glutton and a man of boorish manners. This does not seem like an individual that is going to hug and kiss and weep with somebody. This is, this is so powerful to see that the journey of Jacob has been taking place and we've been able to see it firsthand. 
But there's been a journey that Esau has been on as well. Because even when you don't feel like the center of attention, God is still working on something inside of you. And some of us here feel a lot like Jacob. Our lives, our errors, and our failings have been on display to the world. And for better or for worse, we're doing our best to learn from it. But then there's others of us that feel like Esau, that we're out of the spotlight and no one has even noticed that we've been improving or getting better or what's happening on the inside of us. But God has been present. And he's been working through us and it just hasn't been in front of everyone else. One of the things that is so beautiful about the story of Jacob is that you are not, that your mistakes no matter what you have done or who you have hurt, there is always a God willing to chase you down and remind you that there is an unconditional love that is meant for you. But what this story in particular here in Genesis 33 teaches us, what this story shows us is that just as much as our mistakes are not meant to define you, neither are your hurts. So just as Jacob is more than his mistakes, we are shown that Esau is more than his hurts. Because if we remember back to chapter 27, after Jacob chiefs him out of his birthright, after he steals his blessing, Esau cries out in pain and he says, this is the second time. My brother has taken advantage of me. He was betrayed. He was lied to. He was stolen from. He was robbed. He was critically hurt. And I think that some of us have experiences in our life where we have these hurts and we allow them to hold us hostage in our past. And we trap ourselves in these cages based upon the hurts that have been done to us. And it has been years upon years that you've experienced this hurt. And it's still holding on to you. And you're still holding on to that hurt. And the story of Esau is God's reminder to you today that the hurt that has held you hostage doesn't have to be your hurt any longer. There's a, a Chilean playwright by the name of Ariel Dorfman, and he, and he has this really beautiful quote. He says, how do you keep the past alive without becoming its prisoner? Some of the things that we're keeping alive from our past that we have not dealt with, that we have not gone face to face with, that we've pretended as if they have not had any real impact upon us, are holding us prisoner from the real potential and purpose that God desires for us. And I'm not going to stand here today and make the statement that this is easy or it's quick or that there is a set formula to find the answers or to find freedom that you desire. Because sometimes it takes a really, really long time. But what I am going to tell you is that someday when the time comes and you've held on to that hurt long enough, there will come a point where you need to let go. And it's not my place to tell you how long our hurt can be something that we don't expect, though. Often our hurt that we carry, it, it transforms and it looks different after a couple of years. It felt like hurt at the beginning, but it becomes like an excuse later on. The hurt that we've been carrying becomes the excuse for the things that we do later on in life becomes the excuse for our later struggles in life. And eventually, it becomes a crutch that we don't need to be held responsible for our actions later on because of the hurt that was done to us in our past. But eventually, if you don't let go of your hurt, and if you don't choose to send that hurt away, what will happen is that it will start to feel more and more like your identity. 
and your hurt will begin to define you. And it wasn't meant to. And the beauty of Jacob is that he reminds us that our mistakes don't get to define us. And the beauty of Esau is that he reminds us that no one else's mistakes get to define us either. Jacob is more than his mistakes. Esau was more than his hurt. And no matter how evil someone has been towards you, when you are ready to send that hurt away, and this is not so simple sometimes. Heck, this is, this is 20 years later for Esau that we're seeing them come back together. But this moment is such a powerful image of what reconciliation and forgiveness can look like. It's almost startling when we read it that we see Esau running through his, to his brother, throwing his arms around him, kissing him, making him feel so welcome, so loved. And he asks about his family. And he asks, why did you send me those gifts? They don't, they don't even matter to me. I have enough stuff. It's kind of like a humble flex. I got a lot of things. You don't need to send me those gifts. But I'm just here to see you. In many ways, this image right here is the same image that Jesus uses later on in his storytelling. This sounds and it looks a lot like the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells so many years later. And here, Esau is actually this template for the father in that story. And the language Jesus uses is to have the audience think about Esau. Because Esau had truly sent his past away. He's not hanging on to it anymore. And, and, and forgiveness can, can look a little odd sometimes. I think forgiveness, have you ever had someone forgive you something along these lines where they, they say, you've really hurt me, and, and, I, and I know you might not have realized it, but uh, what you did and what you don't really understand yet, well, I know that, I want you to know that I forgive you for that terrible th thing that you did in such an awful way, this horrible, unthinkable way, and I have set aside this hurtful, painful memory of what you did to me because I want to be the bigger person in this relationship, and so I forgive you because I've overcome the tragedy of your abject failure by accepting you and all your disgusting brokenness and welcomed you back into the loving bosom of my generous heart, for there is no shame other than the obvious shame that you must feel over all the horrible things that you've done to me, but let's not talk about that right now because I forgive you. Have you ever had like an, uh, an apology like that? That, that, that is not sending it away. That's just finding a nice way to rub it into someone else's face, rub someone else's mistake in their face, and calling it forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about reminding someone of how terrible they have been. If that was, and if that is where you are, then own it, to be honest. Know it. This is not a call to rush past how you are feeling about a hurt in the current situation. But you need to understand that those words that you're saying and those thoughts that you're carrying, they're not forgiveness. The only thing that Esau has in his mind in this moment, this moment of reconciliation, this moment of forgiveness, the only thing that he has in his mind is that I have found my brother who was lost and that is all that matters. If your desire is for your pain to be evened out and for all that hurt to be paid forward or to be paid back and your injury to be made equal to someone else, 
then you're probably not at that place to forgive just yet. But Esau took 20 years. And when he gets to that place where you see forgiveness in front of him, there is no desire to pay it back to Jacob, to remind him of his indiscretions, to tell him how much he hurt him. There is simply forgiveness. Forgiveness that cared about Jacob in that moment. Now I want you to look at, the life, look at Jacob in this moment. He's been waiting anxiously. In a lot of ways, he's, he's been expecting his doom. He, he tries to send gifts out in front of him, and he, and he wrestles God, and then he meets God face to face. But now, here in this moment of experiencing his brother's forgiveness, after all that he's been through, Jacob sees Esau, and he comes to this beautiful realization. He says, I know this face. Now, Esau has not grown an ancient day replica of Jesus' beard. He has not gone through some dramatic Edomite plastic surgery to look more like God. Esau has made the decision to absorb the pain and hurt of his brother and not respond with anger and judgment, but instead with grace and with love. And that is the face of God. That's what the entire Jesus story is about. That God comes and, and, and he says, I will take all of your misplaced anger, all your misplaced violence and your fear, and I will let you enact it against me. And I'll absorb it and I will say, it is finished, it is over, and it is done. And that's why Esau looks like the face of God, because the face of God looks at your mistakes and your sin and chooses to embrace you anyways. The face of God looks at your mistakes and your sin and chooses to embrace you anyways. Can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine a church that started to reflect the face of God that when people came into contact with the community that we are at City Collective, that they would say, it looks like the face of God, not because we are getting everything right every single time, not because we are especially holy or have this emanating glow from our faces, but simply because we see people in their mistake, we see people in their struggle, we see people in their sin, and we respond with just simply grace and love. You want to look like the face of God? Let grace and love be your foundation. You want to look and see the face of God? Look for grace and love all around you. For the first time in his life, Jacob was able to see the face of God when he wrestled him, but then he recognized it in the moment after, not as the face in a physical sense, but in the emotional, spiritual, and relational sense that said that he was forgiven just like he was forgiven by God. And this so beautifully lays out for us how reconciliation and forgiveness works. You are not able to forgive someone or accept forgiveness for yourself until you come face to face with who God is and who he wants you to be. God's forgiveness for you is the foundation for you to have forgiveness for others and for yourself. If you feel like you're struggling to forgive someone, or to even forgive yourself. 
My, my heart's cry for you this morning is that you would discover how desperately loved that you are by God and forgiven before you even asked. That is our foundation, and that is the story that we see here with Jacob. That at every step of his journey, he tried to do things his own way. He had his own plans to accomplish the purposes of God. In some ways, his intentions were right. He wanted to do what God had destined for him to do. But he was trusting in his own strength. And it wasn't until he wrestled with God and he saw God face to face and he understood that that face meant that he was forgiven and received as he was and shown so much love that he was able to actually walk forward with confidence and go face to face with his past. Your past is going to stay hidden and behind you and it's going to seem so much more daunting the longer that we believe that we can just keep it to, to the side. But when we come face to face with God and we come to know his incredible forgiveness for us, what an incredible foundation that can be to look at your past in the face and say, I, I am willing to deal with the reality of, this, of those decisions, of this moment. But I know that through it all, God is with me. This is not trying to abdicate responsibility and saying you don't have to deal with the reality of, of life. But the reality of the gospel is that life happens and God is in it all. If you've got people in your life that you know are, are struggling and, and you're wondering how can, how can I show them this incredible love and this incredible forgiveness that's offered to them. For so many different people, I think that the difference between understanding the revelation of God is simply that gap that they need a demonstration. They need to see the face of God through you. So if, if your heart is bleeding and your heart is broken for somebody in your life that you are so desperately want them to know who Jesus is and you so desperately want them to come to this place that they experience this incredible love, you need to first come face to face with God and deal with the unforgiveness in your own heart. What is the hurt that you're carrying? Who has hurt you that you have refused to let go of it? Maybe today can be the beginning of that freedom. Maybe today can be the start of saying, I forgive you, not because you said something that made me feel better, but simply because I want to be free. Jacob models for us this truth, that our relationships with God and our relationships with people are linked. Our reconciliation with God makes possible our reconciliation with others. And to forgive others, you must embrace the truth that you are forgiven first. So this morning, the face of God is not turned away from you. It is not ashamed or looking to condemn you for past mistakes or indiscretions or however you, you categorize the things that you have done. Whatever you are carrying, he looks directly at you face to face. He goes face to face with your mistakes, face to face with your shame, with your struggle, with your, with your sin and your hurt. And he says that I see it all. 
I, I know it all, and yet I choose to embrace you today. We all have hurt. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. That the reconciliation that we need, perhaps relationally with people that we love in our life or people that have become disattached from our stories, that that reconciliation would begin today with just the simple truth that you would know that there is a God that forgives and loves and cares for you very first. May that be your foundation. Not the fear of your past, but just this faith that God is with you. You are more than your mistakes. You are more than your hurt. And you are desperately loved. Let's pray. Father, thank you that here we get to discover how much you love us in the midst of every situation. For the mistakes that we've been carrying as burdens, I pray for freedom from those. But I, I pray specifically, I just feel for so many here, that we are carrying the mistakes of others as the burden of our own life. And we're carrying this hurt so, so desperately that we, we, we almost want to protect other people from it. And it's weighed us down and it's made us feel so overwhelmed that we've kind of avoided even dealing with it. And it's led us to this place of fear, Father. I pray right now that there is faith that builds within the inside of every single person here. Faith that you will walk with them, walk with them as they go face to face with their past, face to face with their struggle, knowing that they, when they go face to face with you, they see grace and they see love. May we be more than a church that just does things on a Sunday morning, but that you would transform us in such a way that when people look at us, that they would say that that is the face of God, one of grace and one of love. Where can I discover that for myself? Let us become a reflection of you. Restore us, reconcile us, and forgive us so that we can be that reflection in the world everywhere we go. For every individual in this place that is carrying something so heavy, I pray that you would just lighten their load right now, Jesus. That there is freedom experienced through the power of your grace. Thank you for the examples that you give us in your word of your constant working in our lives. For those of us who feel like Jacob this morning, I just pray that this story shows how much you are willing to wrestle with us. Afraid of dealing directly with it. And for those of us who are feeling like Esau, as if some hurt has, been happening to us, has happened to us so long ago and we're still carrying it, I pray that you lead us to that place that we see the person who has hurt us and all we desire in our heart is to give them a hug. That would truly take a miracle. It's only possible through you. Thank you for the miracle of your grace and the miracle of your love. Let that transform us right here, right now. We're so grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.